Thank you for that introduction. Uh, appreciate being here and getting the opportunity to speak to you all, all the way from the U.S. Uh, today's topic, I was told, is uh, the great mirage, and it's left open to interpretation uh, what that is. And when I think of mirage, if anyone knows what mirage is, is something that appears to be an oasis. So if you're in the desert, the light of the sun hits the sand or the asphalt in a certain way that it makes it look like there's water on the horizon. So people in the desert who might be lost or they might be looking for some kind of water to drink because they are dying of thirst, they will see water in the horizon, so they'll go towards it. And when they get to that location, they'll see that, oh, there's nothing there. There's no water. We thought it was an oasis in the desert, but actually there's nothing there. So this is a great image or analogy for the dunya, that you can put so much effort, so much time, so much energy, so much emotion, so much investment in the dunya, and then when you get the result, you realize that it wasn't actually what you thought it was, that it has no real substance, it has no real value, and at that point it's too late. Just like in the desert, you're dying of thirst, you can only go one direction or another. If you make the wrong choice, then you will die. It's a mortal decision that will lead to your death. And the same with the dunya. We only have one life to live. And if we don't make the right choice in what to invest ourselves in, invest our emotions in, invest our energy, our johud in, then at the end, if we've made the wrong choice, then we're going to be losers. We're going to be losers and there's no second chance. So this is, I think, an analogy for... Mirage is a great analogy for the dunya. Another analogy that is very important is the idea of an economic bubble. And to explain what an economic bubble is, it's when people invest in an idea or they invest in some kind of economic opportunity and the value of that opportunity or that product will grow and grow and grow. But the growth of that value is not something that is based on real value. It's just growth on the base of, basis of what people have said. It's growth on the basis of what, of hype basically. Something has been really hyped up. So, um, an example is the, uh, this is the bubble that occurred in 2008 that led to the financial collapse of the housing market. People were hyping up the idea of owning property. Go buy property, even if you have to take out a loan with high interest, go and it'll be worth it because the value of property is just going to keep rising and it's a good investment, you're going to profit. And this led to many people going and buying uh, houses, paying, uh, taking out massive loans, ribawi loans, paying all kinds of riba. Uh, for the sake of acquiring more and more and more property. So the home prices kept rising higher and higher. 
But this rise in price wasn't based on an actual value. It was just based on hype. And when that happens, then there's going to be a shock eventually to the market and everyone realizes, oh, this is actually not as valuable as we thought. The price plummets. The value plummets and drops and that's when the bubble bursts. This is a common economic thing that happens. The latest example was, if you're familiar with cryptocurrency, NFTs, this kind of product, was hyped. You know, people were spending hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, investing into something based on hype, based on just an idea, word was getting around, people were saying, yeah, this is the next big thing, this is how you're going to become a millionaire. People were putting their life savings into this one product, uh, online, and then the bubble burst. And now they lost millions because they were investing in a bubble. The West and Western values are like this. Western civilization is like a bubble. So much has been invested into it because it is has been hyped up to such a high degree that, you know, the extent of the hype it's hyped up in even elementary school. Our children are being told constantly that the world today, the modern world, as exemplified by countries like the United States or the UK or France or Germany or Australia, this is the pinnacle of civilization. This is the pinnacle of human history. We're at the, we're the latest and we're the greatest. Our science is most advanced. Our morals, our morality is the most advanced. Our uh, ways of life are the best. This is the message that is given to everyone, whether it's our children in their schools, whether it's in the universities to our youth, whether it's in the media, whether it's through movies, whether it's through music, whether it's through books. This is the idea that is promoted, that human civilization progresses step by step. Human beings become more and more advanced rationally, scientifically, and morally. And we are at the peak, we are at the pinnacle of civilization in this day and age, and, and the Western world exemplifies that. And you can look up, you know, you can Google, you know, what are the best societies, what are the most free societies, what are the societies that really have the most women's rights, the most economic opportunity. If you Google these types of questions, they'll have you'll have top 10 lists that will say, oh yeah, the top, you have Sweden is at the top, Norway, Finland, France, Germany, and so forth. All of these Western European countries are constantly promoted as the best. So this is a type of bubble, and the bubble is has burst, or is in the process of bursting. And this is very relevant for Muslims, because in many of our societies, unfortunately, in Muslim societies, in many of our countries, and also within our communities within Western countries like the US or Australia or the UK, some Muslims will invest in this idea of the superiority of the Western way, the superior political philosophy, the superior economic philosophy, the superior model of secularism, the superior model of how to organize your family, how to organize your marriage, and they'll compromise Islamic ideals and they'll compromise Islamic values for the purpose of adopting a Western way of life. And I wish it was only limited to clothes, 
or fashion or uh, preferences in entertainment. If only, you know, things were limited to that. But instead, what we see some Muslims, they adopt, you know, this is how to organize your entire life. This is how to organize your marriage. You know, for example, the idea that uh, we have to uh, go to school for 12 years and then go get a college education and then maybe we'll go get a PhD or a master's or maybe we'll go get a JD and become a lawyer or go get an MBA in, in business and become businessmen and then we go and get a 9 to 5 job and, and we work so that we can make enough money that we can buy a car and buy a house and go on holiday at least once or twice a year and this kind of model and pattern of life. And then eventually you retire and, you know, maybe you have one child or two children. And this is the, this is a well-lived life. Unfortunately, you have Muslims who are buying into this model of life with no question, with no challenge, with no, you know, skepticism to say, are we sure that this is the only way to live? Are we sure that this is the best way to live? Or have we just assumed it and we're going with the flow? We're going with the tide. This is not good. Or marriage. How do we really organize our marriages? What is the model for the proper marriage? And what you see a lot of Muslims adopt is this idea of equality marriage. You know, marriage is a partnership. You have the husband and the wife and they're equal partners. And, you know, that's how marriage should be. But there's no question, is this actually the correct way to live or have a marriage? Is this the correct relationship between a husband and a wife? Is this Islamic, yes or no? So there's an objective answer to the question. But if you don't ask the question and you just go with the flow, then you're going to be very disappointed when the bubble pops. When the bubble pops. How to organize your families? What's the correct way to raise your children? What is the correct way to send your children to school? What kind of schooling should they have? What should be the, you know, age gap between your children? How many children should you have? All of these types of questions, again, just going with the flow, adopting whatever is the status quo, whatever is dominant, without much consideration, without much thought, without much skepticism without comparing that model to Islam. What does Islam say? How did the previous generations of the Sahaba or the Salaf or even after them, how did they raise their children? Do we know what schooling meant? What did the average 10-year-old in Baghdad in the 10th century, what was the average 10-year-old doing? Well, how about 500 years ago? What was the average Egyptian 15-year-old doing? Do we care? Do we care to know the answer to this? To even ask the question? The problem is that if you've been hyped up with this idea that the latest is the greatest, the way that people live today is the best way to live, if you've indoctrinated and, and swallowed that idea, then you won't, the question won't even occur to you. You won't even want to ask that question. But what is this going to lead to? It's going to lead to what we see all around us. 
And what we see all around us is the bubble is popping. This model is collapsing. And it's very obvious. It's very obvious that this is happening all around us. And I'll just give you some examples. How about this question of what is a woman? This is a serious question that people are very confused. What is a woman? So imagine how confused your civilization has to be that you have, you can't even define what a woman is or what a man is or what a boy is or what a girl is. You can't, you've lost something that the entirety for thousands and thousands of years humans have known and now you've lost that. So what does that say about your civilization? What does that say about this, the health, the mental health of your civilization? And the level of confusion is so extreme that now you have children who are questioning whether they're human beings or not. And at first I thought this was a joke until I saw it for myself. I was teaching a class seven years ago in Florida, in the U.S., and I was talking about how, you know, there's this idea of gender ideology and gender confusion. And one of the high school students who was in the class said that, oh yeah, we have some problem like this, or we have this issue with one of our, one of the students, one of my classmates. This student thinks that he is a dog. He thinks that he is a dog, and the teachers had a conference with the child or the dog's parents, the puppy, I guess, and the teachers agreed to respect the identity of that child. So they had to make certain accommodations for that child based on respect for the identity, the self-identity of that child. So at first I thought that this person was joking, but he said, no, this is real, this is actual. And then I saw it in other places. Other places, the same idea. There are kids in high school that identify as dogs, as cats, as different animals. So this is shocking. The most shocking part is that not that the child is confused in this way, but the fact that the institution of the school and the school district is accommodating that. And they're playing into that delusion. That's the bigger musibah. That's the bigger shock that they're they're willing to accommodate such confusion. If we look at the statistics in terms of gender identity and who identifies, you know, with one letter of the alphabet or the other, questioning your gender identity, it's something that is just increasing. Not decreasing or staying stable. Every year it seems to be increasing more and more. And one of the factors that seems to be causing this is social media. Social media has uh, been linked to depression, mental health problems, suicidal tendencies, and also gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria means questioning your, if you're, your gender as a child. And it's specifically children that are the most vulnerable to this kind of problem. But do you see, do you hear anyone talking about this problem? 
Do you hear about any politicians who are talking about regulating this or controlling this or studying this, spending research funds to actually determine what is the source of this problem? No, the opposite. They're encouraging it. They're spreading it. This is something that they seem to be wanting to usher in and increase. So this, this as Muslims, when we see things like this affecting children, it should be a wake-up call that look at the result of the this way of life, these ideologies. Look what will happen if we as Muslims start compromising our beliefs and our values in order to reform Islam, to make Islam you know, more compatible with the Western way of life, with Western ideologies. Now, why would we do that in our time when we see the bubble popping? We see these kinds of problems. If it were the case, you know, the bigger fitna would be if these countries in the West, they had, you know, excellent mental health, excellent prosperity, excellent, you know, marriages, very stable, strong marriages, very strong, healthy families, just very uh, uh, organized, clean societies. If we saw that, that would be a greater fit now. We would still reject it because it's a society based on batil. It's a society based on rejection of Allah, rebellion against His religion. We would still reject it. But that would be a bigger trial. That would be a bigger test for us. But if we see that society crumbling, and we see even the most, you know, look at what's happening to children in this way, what's happening in our schools in this way, what, are, what is happening on social media in this way, then it's much easier for us to recognize that this is a wrong path. This is a disaster. We should be the last ones, when we see all of this obvious in front of us, to compromise on our deen too. Uh, to reform, to liberalize, to adopt feminist ideology, liberal ideology, etc. What will be our excuse? Because we can't even tell Allah that, oh, we were deluded by, you know, the disbelievers, we were deluded by their wealth and their success. They're not, they don't have the success. In terms of dunya, they're failing, they're crashing. When you look at the statistics, they show that by 2030, over 50% of those who reach 40 years old will never get married by 2030. So meaning in seven years, anyone who's 40 years old or under will never get married for the rest of their lives. Imagine that. That means marriage is ending. The institution of marriage is ending. And it's not because they're committing zina. It's not because they're having girlfriend and boyfriend. They're just completely alone. They have no partner. And every now and then you see uh, in the news that a woman will write an op-ed and she'll say, oh, my regrets, I was a successful businesswoman, I was a CEO, I was very accomplished, but I never got married and now I regret it. I never had children and now I regret it. So they're very clear at the end how the disastrous results of their choices of being a strong, independent woman, pursuing career, pursuing... The result is very obvious. 
So how can you know the result but you still pursue that path, that model of life? We look at how many marriages are ending in divorce. In Western countries, the divorce rate is around 40%, anywhere from 40% to 60%. And it's rising. The divorce rate is rising. So even the marriages that do happen, the few marriages, they're ending in divorce, increasing divorce. What is the cause of this? What is this, the, the cause of this kind of disaster? Families are having left fewer and fewer children to such a degree that certain countries are losing population. They're having a population crisis. Countries like Japan, for example, countries in Europe, many European countries, if not most of them, have negative population growth. The only way that they can maintain their population is through immigration. And this is actually bad news for Muslims. In the country of Sweden, for example, Sweden, the government of Sweden goes to countries like Syria and tries to take as many, encourage as many refugees as possible to relocate to Sweden. Why? Because they want a workforce. They, their economy needs cheap labor. So they take Muslims from Syria and relocate them to Sweden. Then what do they do in Sweden? They want to socially re-engineer the Syrian Muslims to become liberal. So they put all kinds of restrictions on them. They put all kinds of social um, workers to monitor the families, to make sure that, oh, the woman is an equal partner in the marriage, and if she's not, then that's abusive. They're going to help her get divorced. Make sure that the children are being raised as good secular citizens that put these secular laws above Sharia law, if you as a parent tell your child to wear hijab or to not commit zina, this is child abuse. Your child should have the freedom to live however he or she wants. They aggressively are imposing this on Syrians and then if you don't abide by it, they will take your children. And there are many examples. If you were following this, they interviewed Syrian parents living in Sweden, they said, well, they took our children and they gave our children to gay couples, lesbian couples, and we are, this is a nightmare, we can't see our own children. This is happening over the past two, three years, the news has been non-stop. And the government of Sweden is so uh, aggressive in this program that they have attacked through social media, any account, any uh, a Muslim account or news account that reports on these facts. They try to shut it down. They don't want the world to know what Sweden is doing to Syrian Muslims. But this is the nature of the superior liberal West. Sweden, if you look at the top 10 countries on these lists of best places to live, Sweden is usually in the top three. But this is how they are attacking Islam and Muslim families. So this is the bubble popping. They cannot maintain their own populations. They have to pull refugees and pull immigrants. They can't, that's the biggest failure of a society if you can't even perpetuate yourself. You cannot even survive. In 10 years, your population is going to be decimated. So all of these signs show us how rotten 
this way of life, this ideology, this civilization really is. This is the result. This is this is the mirage. And we're seeing that all around us. So what should our reaction be? Look at how the elderly are mistreated in this society. So I don't know about Australia, but in the U.S. there are limited social services. So if you're elderly, you can get us, you know, above the age of 65, you can get a social security check. But the cost of living is going so high that that check that you get for social security is not enough to pay rent and to get groceries and to uh, pay for anything else. So you see a lot of elderly that they stay working, they don't retire. They get into their late 60s, 70s, even approaching 80 years old, and they're still working. And in the very shocking cases, you see the elderly are working minimum wage jobs, working in fast food, working at department stores. They can barely stand, and they're working. And the people who are just, they just walk by them, just order your burger, and there's no awareness that such, this is the end result of hard life working as a wage slave and then you end up in the, in such a position without any family, without any children to cherish you or take care of you or to provide for you. Forget about the nursing home. You know, when we were growing up, it was as Muslims, even 10, 20 years ago, it was a shame. Oh, you know, you're sending your parents to live in a nursing home. Muslims are different. We take care of our parents. But now it's even worse because nursing home, you have to have children that will institutionalize you in that way. Now these elderly, this generation, they hardly have children. Some of them don't have any children. It's the state that has to come and institutionalize you. Or you just are dead and found dead in your apartment alone. This is something that actually... Another student told me, he was Lebanese too actually, he said he was living in New York for many years, and in New York, it's uh, especially, you don't know who your neighbor is, you don't know who else is living in the building, you barely see them because all you do is you sleep in that building, you sleep in the room, otherwise you're at work, you have to make money to pay the very high rent in New York City. They are living like sardines. They're living in these small apartments. They don't know, even though they're surrounded by hundreds of people within a mile's distance, that's how high the population density is, you don't know anyone. So what happened to this brother, he said that, well, I was living in this uh, apartment building, and every few months, the apartment building would have a really bad smell in the hallways. And it would just be so disgusting and unbearable. And then the landlord would have to come and knock on the door and see, okay, what's the smell is coming from this apartment. What's in it? And many times they would find that there's a dead body. There's an old person who's sitting on the couch in front of the TV. And he died months ago. He died a long time ago to such an extent that the corpse has rotten and has caused such a smell that it reaches the hallway through, through the door. And those doors are thick, you know, in New York. That's how long, that's how long no one has checked up on this person. That's how lonely 
the person is. No children, no spouse, no grandchildren, no one to check up, no neighbors to care. Who is this person? Why have I not seen him? Why have I not heard from him? So that's the, the model of life that we are sold as the most superior way of life. And no one seems to care. No one seems to care or question this model of life. So this is this is the mirage, and this is the bubble popping. We should all recognize this is the world that we live in, and it should turn us back to Allah. We need to turn back to Allah and beg Him for our for his forgiveness. And we should recognize that Islam is the only way out of this disaster. We have the responsibility as Muslims to teach Islam as the highest way of life, the best way of life. We have that responsibility. Why? Because we're here. People are drowning. People are drowning in their kufr, in misguidance. And Allah has blessed us with Islam. We have the duty, we must convey this and teach this in the proper way. Without compromise, without distortion, without sugarcoating. And we have it is much easier for us than it was in other generations because we're at the exact moment in history where all of this is collapsing around us. So we have even less of an excuse than anyone else to compromise, reform, to sugarcoat, and to distort the message. So that's all I wanted to say on the topic, inshallah.